We'll be reading this morning from the book of Genesis. We'll be reading from the first, second, and third chapter. I'll be reading from the King James Version. We'll start with uh, verse 27 in the first chapter. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Let's look at the uh, second chapter, verses 15 through 17. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden and dressed it to, and to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof it, you shall surely die. Well, let's look over at... Uh, the third chapter and the first six verses. Now the serpent was more supple than any of the other beasts in the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Ye hath God said, Ye shall eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, that your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree to be desired, and to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us this morning, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, you being here is an encouragement to us, and we hope we can be an encouragement to you. And if there's any way that we can help you, please let us know. How wonderful it is to be a part of an active congregation. And this weekend, we had so many parents and teens come together and spend most of the day Saturday, but definitely the first half of the day and a little bit of the afternoon together. And I think all of us that were here participating in that uh, would say that it was a tremendous blessing to our entire family. And those of you that had part in putting that together, we say thank you from the depths of our heart. It's a tremendous time for our families. And that's what we're talking about. We started last week, and we'll talk again today and, and complete this series perhaps next Sunday morning. But we're looking at the topic of family, and, and family is one of the greatest blessings that we have on earth, but yet it also is probably some of the hardest work that we'll do on earth. It brings, no doubt, some of the greatest joys that we have on this earth, and probably some of the greatest frustration and pain that we also have on this earth. I said to you last week, and I want to begin with the reminder, I don't speak to you today as one that has uh, an expert knowledge or experience in that of being a parent, and for that reason, I have have procrastinated this series for a little while. But I speak to you this morning as one that's in the same shoes of those of you that still have parents at home or those of you that have already raised your parents or those of you that will experience when you do or raise your children or those... <laughs> and uh, my dad will hear this tape one day. He'll, he'll like hearing that. Uh, and that's a challenge too, raising your parents. And... Uh, 
but one of these days, some of you that don't have kids will have kids, and, and you'll walk in these shoes. And what we find out real quickly is all the things that we always said we'd never do, we find ourselves doing, and all the challenges that we thought we'd never face because we'd be too good at this to face those. We find ourselves facing those. And so I don't speak to you as one that has it all together, and I don't speak to you as a family thinking you have it all together, but I do speak to you from the Word of God that does set a high standard for us as parents. And it's, God sets a high standard for us as families. And so we can't back down and, and try to create a substandard level and say, well, surely God would appreciate it anyway. You see, what I want to do in this series of studies for myself and for you is I want to challenge you and I to be the very best that we can be in our homes because our children deserve it and because God would want us to do that. I want to begin with something that uh, kids could not understand this at all. Fathers could a little bit, but you mothers are going to love this. The bathroom door is closed. Please do not stand here and talk, whine, or ask questions. Wait until I get out. Yes, it's locked. I want it to be that way. It's not broken. I'm not trapped. I know I've left it unlocked and even open at times since you were born because I was afraid something horrible, tragic, might happen while I was in here. But that's been 10 years ago. I want some privacy. Do not ask me how long I'll be. I'll come out when I'm done. Do not bring the phone to the bathroom door. Do not go running back to the phone yelling, she's in the bathroom. <laughs> Do not begin to fight as soon as I go in. Do not stick your little fingers under the door and wiggle them. <laughs> this was funny when you were two, but not now. Do not slide pennies, Legos, or notes under the door. Even when you were two, this got a little tiresome. If you have followed me down the hall talking, and are still talking as you face the closed door, please turn around, walk away, and wait for me in another room. I'll be glad to listen to you when I'm done. And yes, kids, I still love you. Signed, your mother. Parenting is all about boundaries. And it's not always easy to know where to place those boundaries or what is best and what is appropriate. But that's the responsibility of us as parents. God lays that upon our shoulders to learn when to say yes and when to say no, to create healthy boundaries for our children. Last fall in New Orleans, a 12-year-old and her mother were walking out of the mall. She says to her mother, Mom, please let me drive home today. She said, I can't let you drive home. You're only 12 years old. So she gave a very adult-like response. But then, as she tossed her the key, she said, but you can drive through the parking lot of the mall. Well, the 12-year-old drove through the parking lot, and as she approached the busiest street of town, she entered onto it. As the mother was yelling, stop, stop, I said you can't drive home. Well, this frightened the girl. She went to slam on the brakes and hit the accelerator, jumped over the curbs, back into the parking lot, smashing into two other vehicles. Now, what are you thinking? Twelve-year-olds are immature? Mother made a bad decision? You insurance guys are thinking, I'm glad I didn't insure? What are you thinking? Is anybody thinking this? The wrong person was driving the car. That describes a lot of families. 
The wrong person's driving the car. When you walk through Walmart and you see a two-year-old throwing a fit in the middle of the floor of the, the aisle of the toys, and then finally the parent yanks the child up and says, just keep the toy, let's go. The wrong person is driving the car. When a 10-year-old tells their parents what they will wear and what they won't wear, the wrong person is driving the car. When a teenager is allowed to talk in any tone that they want to talk to, to their parents, the wrong person is driving the car. And what we have to decide first and foremost, we looked last week at what's God's purpose for us as parents. We saw that, that God created our children after His own image. He gave them a soul. And that He placed them in our care, not really to be ours, but to be a gift that's on loan to us. And we're to train them and we're to mold and to help direct them so that they will return back to heaven. And so that's the purpose of parenting, is to receive a soul for a while to shape and mold it in every way that we can to point that soul back to heaven. But we need a plan. And so what should the plan be of parenting? And, and we just caught a glimpse in the passages that were just so capably read in Genesis, the second and third chapter, where Jesus dealt with the first children that were ever on this earth. Now, I know they were adults, but they were God's children. And it was the first interaction that we see between God the Father and children that He created. And this interaction perhaps could teach us quite a bit as parents about what God would want us to be. First and foremost, we have to say, ultimately, God is driving this car. We saw last week in Psalms 127 and 1, except the Lord builds the house, God has to be driving this car. But then, who does God place in the driver's seat? On this earth, God places parents in the driver's seat. And what is it that God wants us to learn? As we go back to our text here, I'd like for you to look with me in verse 15 again of Genesis, the second chapter. And what we'll do this morning is if I can discipline myself right in the delivery of this, we're going to mention several principles. We don't have time to heavily develop these principles. We could easily spend one sermon on every one of these principles and still not cover all the things in God's Word. But realizing that not everybody here has children at home, I don't think it's wise for us to have a six or an eight week study on parenting uh, since not everybody is that place in their life. But I want to challenge you, if the things that we study here by these principles, if you don't know the details of these principles, as a parent, we need to go back and we need to spend time in the Word of God and we need to make sure that we understand how to fulfill in detail these principles in life. And so we read a first principle here. Look again at verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. Now, this is very interesting, the placement of this. If this happened later on in the Bible, we might not think that much about it. But this is what we sometimes call the, the time of paradise. We, we call this the time before sin. In other words, sometimes we describe this in the Scriptures and say this is when everything was perfect. God created man and, and he had done no wrong and he placed him in a perfect environment in, in the garden of, of Eden there. And it was just a wonderful, wonderful life. Things were perfect. Would you think things are perfect? Look again there at verse 15. Would you think that was perfect? 
God gave him a garden, and he told him in this garden, I want you to tend it and keep it. That's right. Work is positive. Responsibility is a blessing. And I need to realize that that's not something that is a curse in life. The curse that came along later was that the work was going to get harder and that thorns would come up in the ground and they'd have to fight them by the sweat of their brow. And so that level of work was part of the curse. But the idea for someone to have to work and the idea of someone to be held responsible, that was a part of life when we say life was perfect in the garden. And so it is, I need to realize that I must, if I'm going to bring up my children in the way that God wants me to bring them up, and I say, God, show me your plan. Show me how you did it in the very beginning. He'd say, hey, this is why things were still positive. I wanted Adam to work. Now, when we see the phrase there, to tend, notice at the end of verse 15, to tend. That lends itself almost completely to labor. In other words, if you were tending tables, that is to labor and to serve those people sitting at that table. That's what that means, to tend. And so that deals with labor. But notice he says to keep. You know, over in the New Testament, we read about the jail keeper. What does that mean to keep? Well, of course, that means labor. It's work intensive. But this keeping comes with responsibility. You see, those that keep the jail, they're guarding. They're making sure that the ones stay in that ought to be in and the ones stay out that ought to be out. They have responsibility in their labor. So God takes Adam and he places him in the garden. He says, hey, I want you to work here. I also want you to feel responsible for this garden. You're going to have to keep it. It's your responsibility to make sure that this place is what it ought to be. Child turns 16 years old. His parents say, today is his first day at McDonald's. Boy, that manager over there is going to have their hands full today, aren't they? That boy's never worked a day in his life. I'm glad we sent him there to learn how to work. Is that a Christian parent? Or is that a worldly parent? Is that God's plan of parenting? Or is that the world's pattern of parenting? Where in the Bible does it say, hey, you parents, don't do your job. Let somebody else do your job. How many individuals say, well, it's a good thing that that, that that boy's going off in the military because there he'll learn to be disciplined? You know what that's saying about the parents? That's, that is openly stating his parents chose not to do their job. His parents chose not to raise him so that he would respect authority, so that he would be disciplined. And so now somebody else is going to have to do the parents' job. There's nothing wrong with going in the military. There's nothing wrong working at McDonald's. But if a kid comes out of a Christian home, he doesn't go to those places to learn discipline. He or she doesn't go to those places to learn how to work. He or she goes there to work and serve, as they have been doing since their childhood. Because that's what children do that grow up in Christian homes. They learn to work and they learn to bear the responsibility of everyone in the home. You know the definition of a dysfunctional family, if you just want to bring it down to the very basic definition, a dysfunctional family is when someone in that family is not bearing their responsibility. Children can make a family dysfunctional. 
A daddy can make a family dysfunctional. A mother can make a family dysfunctional. Think how many homes there are in America today where no one began when that child was two years old and they were knee high. No one began then to teach them their responsibility of being a part of this family. Where does it begin? Okay, it's time to pick up your toys. Sure, it'd be a lot easier for the mother or father or older sibling to scoop the toys up and put them away, but we're not looking to accomplish picking up the toys as much as we're looking to teach work and responsibility. I want to challenge you. If you have toddlers, they need to be responsible for some of their things. It needs to be their responsibility. I would suggest to you to have daily chores that every member of the family is responsible for those chores and make them fun. You know, one of the funnest memories that I have of our house in the evenings is as supper is over, mom gets a little break. It only takes us about 12 minutes to clean the kitchen up. The four of us, me and my three kids, we each have responsibilities. You know, now, we started doing this as we only had one that was old enough and then two that was old enough, and three. And you know, as the other ones come along, they want to trade, you know? Why do I have to put up the refrigerator stuff? I, I want to sweep it. Hey, whoa, whoa, that's not your job. Colton's been the sweeping man for a lot of years. You, you can't just take over somebody else's job. We're a family unit here. You put up all the refrigerator stuff, and you scoop the scraps out of the plate, and you do it every night. And you know what? We do it with a smile. Oh, we have fun. I'm not saying it's always just belly laughter, but we have fun. And as a family member, uh, it's a family memory for our members of our family. And, and, and we, think about, we think about, well, what good does it do? Do we do that just because it cleans the kitchen? If you're thinking clearly with me this morning, you know that's not the reason we do it. Yeah, it's wonderful that when we're done, the kitchen is clean. But parents, we have to have some kind of responsibilities for every member of the family or we're not training them as God did even the very beginning. God didn't have to have Adam to clean that garden. It was perfect. He could have had a host of angels to come down and clean that garden. He could have created a garden that didn't need tending. We don't do it because it's easy. We don't do it because we just need a task done. We do it because God has placed children in our hands. And I want to challenge those of you that have young kids. Now, you know, if you've got kids my height, it's probably too late for this. But if you have little kids, I want to challenge you. Don't ever let somebody else teach your child how to be responsible and how to work. That's your job. Your child ought to be able to go to their first job and know how to work and take breaks at the appropriate time, how to show up on time, how to get along with co-employees, how to get along with the employer. That's our job. Now, am I suggesting to you that we can do it perfectly? No, because the child has responsibility also. But we have to do our part in making sure that we can do what we ought to do. Notice, if you will, in Lamentations, the third chapter, verse 27. Lamentations, 
Jeremiah writes here in the third chapter, verse 27, it is good for a man to bear the yoke in his youth. God has no problem with youth being responsible. As a matter of fact, he wants them to be. Now, I've talked with parents that have, have a problem with that. And I just want you to see this morning that God has no problem with it. God wants youth to be responsible. I've heard individuals say, let them be a kid, let them be a kid. They're only going to be a kid once. What kind of adult are they going to be if the only one time they got to be a kid, they never learned how to be responsible? God's plan from the beginning was to have His children working and being responsible. You look at the stereotype today of an American kid that's laid up on a couch with a remote and a bag of chips, and you look at another child that's learned how to be active, productive, and responsible. And which one enjoys life the most? Which one, and I want to use the phrase and tell you why this is so important, which one has the greater purpose for living? Barna Research has done a ton of study to come up with seven things that are a result of what teenagers have said that they want in life. And Barna uh, and some of his co-workers have written a book, and it's seven cries of Americans' teenagers today. And one of the cries that our teenagers make today is they want to be productive. They want to, to be useful. They want to know what is my purpose in life. And if we raise children and they never have responsibility and they never are productive in life, no wonder they're crying out saying, we don't know how we're here. There's got to be more to life than fun and games. How many summers, how many years can you have just fun and games and it still be fun? How many days can you go with no responsibility, which means you're being treated as an irresponsible person? How many days can you go being treated irresponsible and say, I like who I'm becoming? No wonder we have so many children that are like a, a ship with no compass, no direction. And what they find? The couch and the TV because that's all anybody expected them to find in their home. Let's move on. As we go deeper into this same reading, the very next verse, let's look at verse 16 and notice this positive instruction that the Lord gave. And Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Now we're going to stop in the middle of the sentence. That's the verse there. You know the rest of the verse where he says you can't eat of that tree in the midst of the garden. But notice first. He gave a very positive command. He's talking to Adam. He says, look, you see all those trees? All those trees. You can eat of those trees. What's the teaching here for us as parents? There are a lot of positive commands that have to be given in life. There are a lot of things that we need to teach our children. When a parent's concept of interaction with their child is to go to them when they do wrong, they've missed the greater picture of parenting. The greatest picture of parenting is to spend a lot of time on the front end, to spend a lot of time on the positive things, to spend a lot of time in training. And then, when we do that appropriately, coming in the back with punishment and reinforcement will be kept to a minimum. 
Notice also as we read here in Ephesians the 6th chapter. Ephesians the 6th chapter in verse 4. Notice the word bring up here. And you fathers, do not provoke your children wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Bring up is one word in the original Greek. And it means to bring to the point of maturity. You see, the idea of bringing our children up is not something we do at one particular age of their life. Our children aren't grown when they're 12 years old. Our children are not grown when they're 14. Our children aren't grown when they're 14. What are we doing? This whole time we're bringing our children up. In other words, we're bringing from where they are that day with the hopes and the goals that what? And you as a parent have to know. What are you wanting your children to be when they're 18 years old? Do you want them to be faithful to God? Do you want them to be responsible? Do you want them to be kind and compassionate and a loyal family member? We have to decide what we want at 18. And everything we do from where they are now to the time that they're ready to leave home, we are bringing them up. And the Lord tells us two things here in this text. He says, I want you to bring them up in the nurture. That means we're providing the things that they need and the admonition of the Lord. That means we're taking the things they need and we're placing it in their mind. You know how sometimes you tell somebody something and it doesn't sink in and so then you create an experience so that when that person goes through it, they look back at you and they say, now I know what you were talking about. You know, have you ever done that? Maybe you go to a new job and somebody says, hey, be careful, this is going to happen and boy, this is tough when this happens. You're like, that doesn't make sense. And then when you walk through it once, you're like, whoa, now I see why they said that. Children do that all the time. We tell them and we tell them. But then they have to walk through an experience to say, that's why mom said this and this. We need to be there making sure that during that time where the experience becomes real, we're helping pick them up in the areas that they fell, and we're helping mold them back into place, and we're helping them to continue growing. It's so important that we realize that, that bringing up our children isn't just a few points in time along the way, but it's that continual molding. Notice also the next slide on, on Proverbs, the 22nd chapter. Notice verse 6. This time he uses the word train up. Of course, this has been written in Hebrew. He says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he'll not depart from it. This is interesting to me as I think of the difference of bring up and train up. Now, we just said bring up was to bring to a point of maturity. Train up, in its original sense, in the narrow sense, literally means to make narrow. Now, think about that for a minute. What's God saying when he says, make narrow your children, train up your children in the way they should go? Life's full of options. Think how many things there are tugging at your children's hearts. Think how many things there are tugging at our children's time. Think how many things just tug in so many directions. And the Lord says, whoa, children aren't responsible enough, they're not mature enough to make those decisions on their own. That's why I gave children parents. And parents are the one that they're supposed to help the children narrow things down. In other words, by our training, we're literally saying to our children, we're not going in that direction, we're not going in this direction, this is the direction we're taking our life. And so the way we approach relationships with others, children, we're going in this direction. The way we approach school, we're going in this direction. The way we approach our relationship with God, we're going in this direction. And yes, there's a ton of things pulling in every direction, but it's our responsibility to remain focused and help our children as they're going in this direction to grow to a point of maturity. And so it's a beautiful thought. And it begins, it begins when 
the child is, is still a toddler. We're bringing up and we're training them. When, when we teach a two-year-old that we mean business when we say no. When we teach a five-year-old, you won't talk back to your mother again. It's not allowed. No exceptions. When parents do their job right of positive instruction, after about seven or eight, so much of that is already molded. It's already in place. We must be serious, be consistent to make sure that we understand and our children understand we're the ones driving this car. God's given us the responsibility to drive this car. Look with me, if you will, to the very next verse. The very next verse, we see the negative command in the second chapter, and we're looking now at verse 17. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, in it, not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. There are a lot of things that we have to teach our children not to do. Now, where did God place this tree? Has that ever stood out as significant to you? If you don't know, you can read back in verse 9 of this same second chapter. The ground, uh, and out of the ground, the Lord God formed every tree uh, grows that's pleasant to the sight and good for the food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden. Isn't that interesting? Training, and training what the meaning of no is. The two-year-old sitting in their high chair and they're throwing their cereal to the ceiling. I know that wouldn't happen in your house. It happened in my house. Throwing to the ceiling. The mother or father, no. And pulls the cereal and sets it out of reach. Good parenting, bad parenting. Pick up the toys. Comes back, I told you, pick up the toys. I'm not going to tell you again, pick up the toys. The parent just scooped them up and put them up. Good parenting, bad parenting. Sit on the couch. I said, sit on the couch. Good parenting, bad parenting. God said, there's a tree. I don't want you to touch or eat of this tree. You'll see it. You're real close to it right now because it's right in the midst of the garden. Positives and negatives. Our children, our children must know who's in authority at a young age. If we can't say to our little children, for no reason at all. Sit on the couch. We're going to leave in a few minutes. Can we do that? If they won't go to the couch on their own and they won't stay on the couch, who's driving the car? It's obvious who's driving the car. If our children can't speak with respect and obey, who's driving the car? It's obvious. 
Somebody says, oh, I just want to choose my battles carefully and what's the big deal about a few toys? You just chose your battle. You just chose who's going to drive the car. That's huge. You don't want a two-year-old driving your car. And so the Lord, He didn't say, tell you what, here's this tree. We're going to uproot it. We're going to set it out of your reach outside the garden. Now, don't touch that tree. A huge point. We're going to have to close. We're running out of time. I didn't do good with my time, but we're going to close. Let's go to uh, 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, the third chapter. As we read 1 Samuel, the third chapter, I want to ask you, we closed last week with Hannah, so let's move toward a close again this week with Hannah. You know, she raised her child and she handed him back over to God. And that's a story that is just so touching. And it's a story that reminds us of our responsibility to hand our children back over to God. But you know, she handed her child over at a very young age. He'd just been weaned. Do you think she was a very good parent? When I read this story here, it stands out in my mind, the awesome parent that she must have been. Because when we read in 1 Samuel 3rd chapter and verse 2, they're laying down at night, and we come to verse 4. Now he's just with Eli. Uh, he's, he's left his mama and his daddy. And so now he's just with the priest there. And notice what he said in verse 4. And the Lord God called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. So he ran to Eli, and he said, Here I am, for you called me. And he said, I'd not call you. Lie down again. And he went and laid down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel rose up and he went to Eli and he said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call you, son. Lie down again. And Samuel did not know that the Lord, uh, did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel again the third time. He arose and he went to Eli and he said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Therefore, Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be, if he calls you, that thou mayest say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went, and he laid down in his place. Remember, I, I said today, I just want to challenge us. So I don't, I don't mean this to put it in your face, but to challenge all of us. Could that happen to your child? Could that happen to your child? The Lord called one time, and He answered and went. Have you ever seen children today out in public, and the parent asks them to come to them, and the child comes, and somebody else goes, Wow, you have such good children. That child just laid that toy down and came. Wow. It stands out, doesn't it? Because most families today, the children are driving. Most families today, if the, if the parents said, called their name, Samuel, come here, you wouldn't hear anything. Samuel, come here! Wait till this commercial! Or it'd be, I don't want to come. Who's driving the car? I agree with this, pick your battles carefully. But if it's disobedience, and if it's showing a lack of respect, you better wage war. Because that's the battle for the child's soul that the parents can't afford to lose. Because if you don't win that one by the time they're 13, you've probably lost the battle. Samuel had a mother 
This is David Shannon's opinion. He'd had a mother back when he was two years old that warmed him up for not coming. And that little dude, when he got in Eli's house and he heard Samuel, he said, yes, sir, you called? Respect, authority. Friends, this morning, if we really, as we think about all this, we conclude by thinking about how do we treat God? He wants to be our Heavenly Father. He wants to adopt His family. Or are we kind of like that? Uh, Lord, I'd rather drive. I don't want you to drive. Let me drive. Lord, I'll come. I know you're calling me. The invitation's open. I'll come, but wait till I have a commercial in life. Wait till a different season in life. Do you realize what that's saying? That's not just saying, I want things my way. That's saying, Lord, I disrespect you. I don't care if you're calling me today or not. I'm not going to obey you today. I'm not going to allow you to be God of my life today. So much about who we must be and who God wants our children to be is about who's in control. Who's the authority? Where's the respect? By the way you live today, are you showing respect to God? If you've never been baptized in His Son for the mission of sins, won't you do that today? If you have become a child of God, but somewhere you, you've proven yourself to be less than what God wants you to be, won't you come back to Him today? That's the beautiful thing. God is not one that wants to beat His children down. His arms are open. He's welcoming us home. And, and we as parents need to learn that example and learn that lesson. Our task isn't to beat our children down. Our task is wrap our arms around them and love them up. Love them up all the way to maturity. Love them in a narrow way to bring them to what God wants 